Welcome back to Comics Over Time, where we shine a spotlight on classic comic stories and the TV shows or big screen blockbusters they inspired. We'll look to connect the dots from the comic book panels to the moving pictures, examining where the adaptation followed the comics closely and where they decided to go in their own way. And when we're done, we'll try and answer that most important of questions, who told the tale best? My name is Dwayne, and with me, as always, is my good buddy Dan. Dan, how's it going? Absolutely great. I am uh, visiting the beautiful city of Minneapolis, Minnesota. Actually, at a conference for work this week. So, coming to you from the hotel. Hopefully, everything sounds okay. I brought most of my stuff with me, so we should be good. Really looking forward to getting into some comics this week because we are getting ready for the third final installment of that beloved Guardians of the Galaxy franchise we've been talking so much about over the last month or so. The trailers and the previews for this have been coming out pretty regularly and over just the last yeah. week there's been quite a lot of, of new content coming out. They've given us a relatively good idea of some of the key elements that we're going to need to know going into this movie. It's also gotten me really excited about this movie because we've started seeing some early previews and the like. People are excited about this film who've seen it. The reviews are looking like they're going to be pretty good. So we're going to be talking about The High Evolutionary. We're going to be talking about The New Men. We're going to be talking about Counter-Earth. We're going to be talking about Adam Warlock. Hopefully we're going to get you guys ready for sort of that stuff you might want to know about the Marvel Universe that hopefully will inform a little bit the the third guardians movie yes yes definitely some some interesting stories to go through today across a number of books uh but before we do that let's jump into some comic book news and dan this saturday free comic book day once again i had yes. completely i had completely forgotten about it and then i went out looking for some comic book news and they're like hey it's free comic book day this Saturday, May 6th. So uh, freecomicbookday.com is all the information you could need. There are 43 different books that are potentially available at your local comic book store uh, free of charge. I know some some places have limits. I can only get like three books at, at my store. But uh, uh, there's some interesting titles in here. Obviously, DC and Marvel have some books in here, but there's also some some smaller more independent stuff um yeah do you have you had a chance to look through any of the any of the books that are going to be available do you have any that you're key on getting yeah you know there's actually a couple that i'm really looking forward to there's a there's an umbrella academy book uh, umbrella academy and the witcher but it's umbrella mm -hmm. academy which has been one of my favorites for the last few years there's an animal castle book that I would really recommend taking a look at because the first volume of Animal Castle came out last year and was absolutely brilliant. It's sort of like if Animal Farm had a sequel where okay. the animals sort of keep building up and eventually they kind of kick out the pigs and now new problems present themselves. Okay. So that one's, that one's really good. And then there's a few others uh, one called I Am Stan that I think yeah, would be an interesting I saw one. That. So tons of cool books out there. One thing, they are free to you, but keep in mind they're not free to your comic store. So even if they don't have a limit, 
don't just go in and grab take every book on the stack. <laughs> yeah. Just just take the ones that really do look interesting to you. But sure. yeah, usually most places will let you get three to five, something like that, depending on really some interesting stuff. If you uh want something really weird, there is the fabulous Furry Freak Brothers as well, which is a series of comic reprints and the like from some of the old, like really independent stuff of the the 60s and, and 70s. So that's not something I would have figured I would see it at Free Comic Book Day, but there we go. Sure. Uh, I think the book that I think looks the most interesting is the Fish Flies book. Uh, apparently it is a preview to a 64 page book that's coming out in June, uh, that talks about the small town in Bell river that's infested with fish flies and the streets are carpeted with tiny insects and lots of other strange things happen. Uh, it's from writer artist, Jeff Lemire, who I think did some moon Knight comics that I, that I remember liking pretty well. So recognize the name and, this seems kind of weird and out of the ordinary, so I thought that might be something that looks of interest. Weird and out of the ordinary is Lemire's sort of specialty. So, oh yeah, he had the he had stuff. the really the really crazy run in Moon Knight, yep. right? It was a crazy run in Moon Knight, but he's also done like Sweet Tooth, and he's done Gideon Falls, which was pretty crazy. Bunches of different things that are sure. very interesting. Very, a lot of times, a little bit verging on the macabre sort of stuff. So that would be a good gotcha. choice. Yeah, yeah. Great stuff. Uh, all right, moving on. What is new in Marvel Unlimited this week? We've got a couple of very timely number ones coming out. The A New Guardians of the Galaxy series, as well as Warlock Rebirth number one, are both going to be available this week on Marvel Unlimited. Uh, both of them look pretty interesting. The The cover on the Guardians one looks great. Um, yeah. If I do say so myself. It's kind of like Old West Guardians of the Galaxy yeah. is what the redesign looks like. Yeah, and it talks about them basically getting uh, destroyed and now kind of living on the fringe of, of space and trying to figure out how they deal with lawlessness and can they get back to kind of the Guardians they were. So this sounds like a very interesting sort of series. It's got almost like a Firefly of the of the Galaxy sort of uh, yeah from the yeah. looks of it. I I that speaks to me. And then and then yeah the the Warlock Rebirth talks about Adam going up against a new and potentially better version of he's supposed to be the perfect human and now there there's going to be something that's even more perfect so that's perfecter <laughs> yeah perfecter if that's a word so like so my both... grammar it's perfect <laughs> yes exactly so both of those definitely seem timely given the movie coming out the, this weekend we've got some other number ones that are available this week as well avengers beyond at number one sins of sinister number one and murder world wolverine number one as well so definitely some interesting uh, books that you could potentially look at in Marvel Unlimited this week. Dan, do you got a recommendation for us? 
Absolutely. Read just a fantastic comic book this week. Image has a new number one that just came out called Deep Cuts, number one. And it is a sort of a slightly longer comic, it's good sized, that's written by Kyle Higgins and Joe Clark with art by Danilo Beiruth. It's actually the story of this young man, uh, sort of around turn of the century America, who dreams of being a jazz player in New Orleans. And really an interesting story, good characters. It's not superheroes or anything like that. It's just uh, kind of an interesting story, though, because it does have a really cool historical feel to it. And just a, just a cool story. Very cool. That sounds... Sounds quite interesting. We'll have a link to it in the uh, in the show notes. So if you're interested in taking a look at that, uh, we will have a link that you can use uh, on there. And with that, we are done with comic book news. Dan, let's let's talk about the stack this week because when 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 you gave me this assignment, it seemed a little weird because it looked like we were jumping all over the place. But in factual fact, the way I was talking to you about this before we started recording is it felt like one just sort of continuation, continual story across all these different titles uh, that, that we read this week. And it really is. The, the story just sort of gets chased across the Marvel Universe. And I, as I think you're going to comment on when we get to the end, yeah. it doesn't stop. No. Sort of weaving through the, the Marvel Universe. So what we actually look at is we're going to take a look at Thor 134 and 135. Just the first story in those. There's two stories in it. There's a Tale of Asgard at the back that we're not going to look at. Tales to Astonish, number 94 to 96. And again, that has two stories. The first one is a Namor story we're not going to look at. We're just going to read the Hulk. We're talking about the Hulk stories. And then Marvel Premiere number one and two from 1972 and warlock number one through eight also from 1972 slash 73 right so you know you talked about uh a little bit during the intro of why why you picked these books but 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 tell us maybe in a little more detail what why did you pick these books specifically so why don't you get an introduction to the high evolutionary and there's actually a number of places we could have gone because there are later points where they sort of return back to wondagore mountain and some of this that we could have done instead but i like the fact that this created one story really that kind of wove through mm -hmm. that had high evolutionary and it had warlock and it just kind of got you ready in a lot of ways for what i think we're going to see in the movie so sure. 134 and 135 are the introduction of the High Evolutionary and his new men. Tales to Astonish, 94 to 96, is sort of the creation of this planet called Wondagore 2, where the High Evolutionary and the new men go. They eventually, relatively quickly, devolve. Everything breaks out into war. He kidnaps the Hulk to defend him. It doesn't work. And... He turns into sort of this god and basically sets everything yeah. back the way it was. And then, after the failure of Wondagore 2 and all the rest, he decides he has to start from scratch. And in Marvel Premiere 1 and 2, he actually is out in space, finds a cocoon, 
and this is going to be the story of the High Evolutionary and Warlock and Counter-Earth, and sort of how all that works together. And then that will end on kind of a cliffhanger, which we're not going to talk about, that then wanders into the Incredible Hulk, making Dwayne angry. So. <laughs> yes, it seems fitting, by the way, that I was upset at how this ended in, in Warlock number eight, and it's the Incredible Hulk where this story finishes. Yep. Absolutely. So, before we dive in and talk about the books in, in particular, uh, we normally do a creator profile when we do comic book stories. Do you have somebody that we're going to spotlight this week? Sure, and we got a lot to talk about, so I'm not going to go too in-depth on him, but I do want to talk about Gil Kane, who is one of the great masters of sort of comics, sort of middle age. He is one of my favorite artists from the 70s and 80s. He's a guy who started out uh, in his career way back in, in the, I think, the early 50s or, or the maybe even in the 40s. Um, actually worked for Timely Comics, which would eventually become Marvel. Did a lot of things, even back on like the Sandman stories, working with Kirby and Simon and the like. And then when the Silver Age of Comics came out, he actually is one of the people who really created and designed and worked on a lot of the early characters for DC. So Showcase 22, which has the first appearance of Hal Jordan, the modern uh, Green Lantern, was drawn by him. He designed that Green Lantern costume and sort of set up that character. All sorts of other amazing characters that he actually has been a part of as well during that. He then moved over to Marvel and had a run where he did Amazing Spider-Man. He worked on a bunch of other characters. He's got this very, very highly defined and highly stylized kind of style where his characters seem almost like they're corkscrews. They're turning around all the time and he's got feet and hands that kind of come out at you and, and have these crazy grasping... It's very, very specific anatomy, which I'm not sure necessarily works necessarily if you look too closely at it sometimes, but it looks perfect, uh -huh. right? He's an incredible draftsman, and everything he does just looks so fluid and so very cool. It's a, it's a very, very easy to, easy to read and enjoy sort of art. Some of my favorite stuff from him, actually, is actually a Sword of the Atom series from the 80s, which is where I really learned to love Gil Kane's art. For some reason, that was the point where I just kind of realized, this guy is amazing. And then I started going back and trying to find his, his older stuff. But if you did have any interest, there's a lot of Gil Kane artwork out there. He's actually one of the most prolific artists in history in terms of pages drawn. And almost all of it is great. He he actually drew some of the Warlock books that we're reading today, right? Yes. Yep. The Warlocks are the ones, Warlock uh, 1 and 2, and I believe also Marvel Premiere 1 and 2 are, are him. Okay. And maybe a few of the later ones too, but at least those first few are. Right. Okay, well, let's let's dive in and let's start with Thor 134 and 135 because we, we, we read the story immediately before this with Ego, the Living Planet, uh, in preparation of 
Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, which we watched a couple weeks ago. Uh, jump, jumping right from that story into this what was pretty crazy, considering that, you know, both of them are going to end up uh, getting the MCU treatment here. Yeah, it is kind of crazy, because literally, issues 132 and 133 are the first appearance of Ego uh, in Thor. And then Thor 134 and 135 are the first appearance of the High Evolutionary. So we, in this Thor comic run, are seeing most of the sort of antagonists and a lot of the, the backstory for the Guardians movies all sort of just popping out of Lee and Kirby's head in uh, right, right in serial order. So <laughs> this is a cool story. It's from 1966, both of these issues. Written by Stan Lee, drawn by Jack Kirby, Vince Coletta is the inker Stan Rosen on letters and Stan Lee obviously calls himself the editor as well. So you ready for a recap? Yeah, let's, let's do Shall a brief recap of these two issues to get to, to kind of level set here. Sure. So on his return from defeating ego, the living planet, Thor actually goes looking for Jane Foster, who's been lost, wandered off while he was gone. And he finds her teaching at the mountain lair of the High Evolutionary. While on the way there, Thor stumbles into a fight with the new men on their mechanical flying horses. These new men, also called the Knights of Wondagore, are evolved animals, each of which has a name like Sir Leopard or Sir Ocelot that sort of gives away their genetic history. Thor then accidentally causes the High Evolutionary to forget about an ongoing evolution he has going on while he's monologuing his backstory, and this results in sort of overbaking one of his evolution creations uh -huh. and ending up creating what's called the Man-Beast, a super-evolved wolf who Thor and the, and the new men must then team up to defeat. High Evolutionary then launches the Man-Beast and his helpers off in a rocket ship to a distant, uninhabited planet because he doesn't want to kill them because they couldn't help what they were made. So he's like, we'll send them off there. They won't cause anyone any more problems. This is the last time we're going to see them. Right. Yeah. Yep. And, and at that point, he and his new men also leave Earth after the high evolutionary reels that his entire base has actually been a massive rocket ship all along. So they just yeah. sort of blast off with all the new men in the high evolutionary off to find their own world away from humanity. So there's his introduction. Yeah. So, so this, and, and the interesting thing is so the high evolutionary is basically just a scientist and he's from earth and and he's just decided that like the world needs to evolve and and he's going to create this machine that is going to do it and he's doing it with these animals and like seeing what they will of basically just rapidly evolving like an animal as if generations you know hundreds and hundreds of generations have gone by and seeing how they basically evolve over you know a million years and it, and it's yep. it's kind of an interesting sort of thing like I, I i would not have thought about that as being a comic book character but that does sort of feel a little comic book character sort of thing to do well, this is this is Hank Pym all over again at a certain point. Sure, you know, he's got his he's got his his ideas and he's doing his experiments, and everybody in the scientific community is like, "That's unethical." 
He's like, well, yes, but it might work. So, you know, I'm not going to worry about really, that. Yeah, we could really benefit from this. So, yeah. so he's trying it's... to prove his revolutionary theories and uses his questionable science. The whole thing, as with so many of these Lee Kirby early stories, is a massive ethical mess. And a lot of that's just sort of glossed over here, but we start to see it more and more as it goes along. The interesting thing is that the evolutionary, to a certain extent, is is convinced that there's this perfectibility or this, you know, this progress to be made. Yeah. And he takes some serious chances as he's doing that and often ends up getting himself in some trouble. But yeah, right now at, at this point, he's just a guy. Yeah. He is just a guy. <laughs> That's not going to be the case forever. No, but, but it, it, it just, it's surprised me that that was kind of just this, it was almost sort of an unassuming start, right? Yes. And, 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 and suddenly ends up being quite a bit bigger as we go through all this. So what, what, what he becomes and what he tries to do and that sort of thing, but just starting out, this is, this is where it was, which was really interesting. And, and then like, you know, he's trying all these different species of animals and that. And I thought it was interesting that he calls them the new men. Like, yes, you know, he, he's eventually planning to graduate to humans it seems but he's doing this kind of in stages and so like the the class that jane foster is teaching are like these basically walking and talking super evolved different animals you know warthogs and wolves mm -hmm. and all these different like random random animals that he is having brought to his spaceship and then doing this evolved procedure on them yes and they all eventually evolve to be bipedal and uh, and talk like humans. So yeah. there you go. But it's Convenient. it's weird. It's 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 very weird. I I think that the interesting thing when you start looking at kind of how this all starts is that then in various other books, all of this gets sort of backfilled too. And high evolutionary story where we join it. Later, there's years of previous story put in by other writers where you see that, like, there's werewolves who attack him and that becomes the great, or the like, the great-grandfather of our Jack Russell uh, werewolf by night that we've read stuff about. There is the, the dad of Jessica Drew, who's Spider-Woman, is kind of in league with him and helps him build his castle and all of this. But we don't hear about any of this now. And it doesn't matter <laughs> no. anything to Guardians of the Galaxy. Sure. Just so you know, one of the weird things is that he just sort of, it just seems like he's plopped in here. That left a lot of story yeah. space on the backside that other people went back and explored. There's like this skeleton and then they get to just sort of add to it to make this fully yep. formed and evolved sort of story yep. I, I, by the time it uh, gets gets done there so let's let's move on to tales to astonish because as we said there there really is this through line that goes right so i have from... two things before we do oh, that okay first Sorry. off how many evolved raccoons did you see i did not see any evolved raccoons 
So this is going to become relevant to my argument later. But as of okay. right now, our count of, of evolved raccoons is zero in sure. in the world of the new men. Also, it is interesting that they're all on these weird, almost like mechanical horses. And really, when you think of the new men, you should think of them as these sort of chivalrous knights. And each of them is called Sir or whatever. Mm-hmm. That also is backfilled where... Like someone who is at the castle of or in in the circle of like Merlin came down through time as a spirit and ended up inhabiting someone else's body and then training them in the ways of chivalry. Oh, really? Because Marvel is weird. But nonetheless, that's (laughs) the explanation for why they are what they are. Okay. All right. I don't believe they're going to be knights errant in the... the in Guardians show, 3? But I guess yeah. in, in Guardians 3, but we'll find out. Okay. So Tales to Astonish 94 to 96 uh, looks like published about a year later or so. Yep, about and a year later. Very, very much keeps this story going and, and basically picks up right where Thor 135 ended, where, where we've had, you know, the, the man beast in his group have been shot off and going to one planet and then you have the high evolutionary and kind of the the followers that didn't follow man beast going to another planet and, and he absolutely he, he he seems to be going to continue right along with his his, his evolved sort of uh experimentations uh without yep. without much of an issue yep yeah this is from 1967 so yeah just the next year Written by Stan Lee again. It's penciled by Marie Severin. Herb Trimpey was the inker. Sam Rosen on letters. And again, Stan Lee is the editor. Tales to Astonish back at this time was one of those books published by Marvel that actually included two stories in each issue. The books had Namor in one story and they had the Hulk uh, as the other. Hulk stories are the ones that we're interested in here. Uh, as they're going to feature the continuation of the evolutionary story. He's escaped to a new world, but he finds his paradise is destroyed as his new men begin to avert, revert to their bestial form, and they actually start destroying everything around them and heading off to try and attack him. He actually has the Hulk kidnapped from Earth and sent to the new planet, but along the way, Hulk actually wakes up in the sort of spaceship, ends up destroying a bunch of stuff, including most of the ship's controls, and they get steered into a cosmic storm where they almost die. Uh, storm actually turns him back into Bruce Banner, and the High Evolutionary then welcomes Banner once the uh, rocket lands, shows Banner to his lab, shoots him in the back, and begins experimenting on him with the hopes of making him evolve one million years into the future to sort of like this hyper-evolved human form. The new men actually break in on the experiment, the High Evolutionary needs to free Banner in the hopes that he'll turn back into the Hulk as he's attacked. The Evolutionary fights for a bit, then puts up a barrier behind himself and continues on with his science. Banner does turn into the Hulk, cleans up the new men relatively easily, but as he does so, the Evolutionary puts himself into the machine and tests his one million year plan on himself. It works, and he turns into this godlike entity that actually decides to revert all of the animals back to where they were, undoing the evolution that he'd done and then also returns Hulk back to earth and then just fades away into the universal mind 
never to be seen again. Just like last time. <laughs> just like last right? time. Right? Yeah. Uh-huh. So, so. I have a question about this story because I. Bring it on. It, so it. We, we talked about the new men and the new men are kind of the, the name given to man beast and like his followers, but we also, all of them, it, it's, it's all the evolute, all of the evolved animals, animals, right? In fact, he calls his new men, the, the high evolutionary calls his creations, the new men. Right. Some of them are Knights of Wondagore, which are the ones that are the ones that are trained for combat. A lot of the other ones, like the one that was evolved from a pig that was more of just a guy who could pass for a human and, and went and got Jane Foster and the like, still new men, but not Knights of Wendigore. And then the, like, Man Beast and his followers, also new men, but not, they're not in the same cohort as Man. the ones that are created by the evolutionary, but are essentially the same thing. So it was my understanding that like, so the problem, I guess, in this story was it wasn't just that he was dealing with man beast and his followers, but it was also just the, the, the new men in general were devolving back from the evolved state they were in. So the, the ones that weren't even the ones that weren't siding with man beast were kind of a problem in destroying things and, and and like being violent to one another and attacking him and all this sort of thing as well. So there was like it was basically high evolutionary versus everybody, all his creations. Well, and in fact, the the man beast I don't think was even in these issues. These were just his new men. Okay. Okay. This was just essentially what it's explained in another comic a little further. But I think what happens is when he creates Wondagore two which is the second the the second planet not earth not counter earth but the one in between he actually then genetically evolves other like mates for each of his new men and sends them out to just sort of like populate the planet and you know be peaceful and happy and yeah. instead they all kind of revert back to their old forms they go crazy they kill each other and they come after him Sure. And so okay. once they're not being actively socialized in the high evolutionaries sort of compound, they lose that humanity, lose that, that evolved state and everything goes bad. It's never really explained why, Yeah, but that's what happens. Okay. So I was re I was sort of, I was thinking I was understanding what was going on, but it was a little because of the terminology and because everything's basically a new man. I wasn't entirely sure what what yep. who who we were, which faction we were dealing with, and so it was really so. It was really interesting because this story is basically this the high evolutionary story, but it's kind of from the Hulk point of view because. The Hulk is is kind of the main character of the story and and he is like as you said kidnapped there's these like hunters that find him he's off on his own he's feeling kind of down he doesn't really want to be on earth cuz nobody understands him because you know he basically just sort of trashes mm -hmm. things and gets angry and then like 
these random hunters stumble upon him and they just so happen to be the high evolutionaries hunters that are supposed to be finding animals to send to him so that he can you know continue his evolution um experiments yeah so like instead of a caribou they send him a hulk instead <laughs> yes like, i need i need reinforcements <laughs> yes and it's it's ridiculous it's also interesting how hulk feels about it though because mm-hmm. as he wakes up and he's like you know maybe this is okay i i need an i need a second chance to start over anyways i'm not really yeah. happy on earth let's just see what happens he he in fact before he finds the hunters he's talking about like i'd really like to go to the stars and he's like looking up at the sky and he's like you know the stars would be good and then all of a sudden like here's some hunters and they're like hey you're gonna go in space yep yeah not subtle weren't subtle (laughs) no but i think that the main thing about this is it shows that the the high evolutionary really just has a problem in that his his entire idea of rapid evolution seems to be unstable. The way he did things was unstable. It didn't really work very well and it all came apart on it. And at the end he evolves into this super state, realizes that he's done it all wrong and basically just erases everything and moves off into the ether. Yeah. One other thing just to note that I did want to, did you notice that they they give equal placement to each of these guys during the issues? That in the odd numbered or the even numbers issues, Namor's on the front cover and his story's first. Yeah. And then the odd numbered issues, Hulk is on the front cover and his story's first. So each of them actually gets to be the star of of the comic, the book yeah. for half of the year. Kind huh. of interesting. So yeah. I I like those. That was also the way Iron Man uh did it back in the day. It was Iron Man in one book and Captain or and Captain America shared a book. And then when it continued on, they both got their own. It's kind of how this worked. Hulk ended up getting his own book. Submariner did for a while and then it uh it went away. It, I didn't think it lasted as long. But in any case, so that gets us to there. Are you ready now to see? What happens to the high evolutionary? Do you think he's going to be back, Dwayne? I, I mean, I wouldn't have thought so. Given, given the way we <laughs> ended 96, I was not suspecting that we were going to get another high evolutionary story or that it was going to be the same guy. But yep, he... There you appar- go. Apparently, he, he Spoiler alert, suit. it's the same guy. Yes, he found a suit. And he's now back walking around. So, the year is 1972. Roy Thomas is the writer. Gil Kane pencils. Dan Atkins on inks. Sam Rosen on letters. Stan Lee still the editor. High Evolutionary Returns. He was a godlike sort of cloud for a long time, but he's gotten tired of that. So he's reestablished his body and he's drifting through space in this big ship, kind of planning his next steps. And he actually finds this big floating cocoon. He brings a cocoon on board his ship and he's able to communicate with the being within, which is currently known only as him. 
The two exchange origin stories, and him watches as the High Evolutionary sets in motion his new plan, which is to create a counter-Earth on the other side of the Sun that will be an exact duplicate of the Earth, only without the scourge that he thinks to need to be removed, which is human evil. Seven score hours later, he is done creating his new Earth, going through all of the evolution needed and creating a perfect humanity that is without sin, at which point he needs to rest and falls asleep exhausted by his labors. While he is asleep, his evil creation, the man-beast, returns and sort of finds them, sneaks onto his ship, into his garden, as it were, and introduces mm-hmm. evil into the, the new counter-earth world by inciting the first murder, uh, essentially, of brother on brother. This then plunges Counter-Earth into that same tumultuous history that the original Earth faced. And because it's evolving at a rapid pace, all of this is happening while the High Evolutionary is asleep, so there's nothing he can do to stop it to reroute history. He, he, basically, evolution- he basically fell asleep right after the first... Uh, human like men were men and women were created, and he's like, "Yep, I, I, I've got them all the way here. There's no, there's no evil here. I could take a, I could take a little breather now, take a nap. Yep, as they, as they'll continue to evolve, and then this is when that happens, and and all, and all heck yep. breaks loose. Yep. So he awakes, finds the man beast at the controls, wrecking his new society. He tries to fight him off. Uh, he, High Evolutionary is having some problems, and so Adam Warlock, or I guess he'd be called at this point him still, realizes that he's needed and that he wants to actually help protect this Earth and the High Evolutionary. So he pops out of his cocoon, relatively easily is able to defeat the Man-Beast, who sort of disappears, and we find out he's disappeared down onto the planet. He hasn't been, been killed. Uh, but... In any case, the damage is done. The world has been sort of uh, corrupted, as it were. And the evolutionary considers just destroying Counter-Earth entirely and either starting again or giving up. Him intercedes with him, though, and asks to be sent down to the planet himself so that he can hunt down the escaped man-beast and sort of save or redeem the world. Evolutionary agrees, gives him a soul gem to help him takes away some of his power and imbues him with sort of a humanity and sends him down to earth, at which point he falls in with this group of young hippies who follow him around. They give him the name of Adam. He'd already been given the name of Warlock by the High Evolutionary, so now his name is Adam Warlock. And he actually helps to defend this group against their parents' wishes and the man-beast's evil evolved creatures that attack them, like an evolved mouse with a sort of Almost like Thor's chariot with the goats. He's got the same thing, only it's these crazy dogs that that pull it. Adam then defends the Earth again when the High Evolutionary rethinks things and wants to destroy it. And it's almost like, you know, you see the High Evolutionary's voice from on there and then he's standing, almost looking up, um, defending the planet. High Evolutionary wants to destroy the planet to cleanse its evil. Because he says it just gets worse all the time and there's nothing we can do. 
nonetheless, Warlock again convinces him, I can fix this. He's walking down the street and he's like anointed the one by the street prophet who then takes him down into sort of a, a different corridor. Ends up that is actually the man beast. They fight. This is just the start of all sorts of adventures that have Reed Richards, Von Doom. And in the end, and I'm going to shorten this because it's a lot of stuff. We end up having man beast taking over the position of president to the United States and eventually Adam Warlock confronts him in the Oval Office and the two of them battle each other. And that's continued. Yeah. yeah. That's continued in uh in Incredible Hulk. So Dwayne yes. doesn't know what happens yet. So, so yeah. Spoil it for him. Yes. Yeah, so we're <laughs> so we actually kind of covered not only Marvel Premiere one and two, but into the Warlock series of books as well. Because yeah, because it really is just one story. The Marvel Premiere one and two went directly into Warlock one, yeah. and that's the way it's supposed to work. Is if you get something that's popular in Premiere, then they roll that story off and complete it in an actual series. Yes, yeah. The the the, the cover cover art and like that first panel page is like you wanted it, you asked for it. Here it is, the, the the continuation from from Marvel Premiere, and they they even kind of helped fill you in if you hadn't read Marvel Premiere one and two, to kind of bring you up to yep. speed as to you know who the who this golden golden guy is with the with the uh, the gem on his forehead and uh, you know the high evolutionary guy he's talking to and the man beast and all all this sort of thing. So it was it. It was it was it was really just like literally just like one book to the next. Yep. So so I think the the things I really want to talk about though is why this stuff matters and how it might affect the movie. Yeah. So let's start out with talking about the whole idea of Counter Earth because I think this is going to be critical. Uh huh. The idea of Counter-Earth is it's an Earth that looks just like ours. But it has two differences. The first is it doesn't have any superheroes. Because superheroes just didn't end up being created there the same way. Some of that was influenced by Man-Beast. Some of that was just a difference in the way the evolution worked and the like. But there aren't the same heroes that are on the regular Earth. Secondly... It is kind of this place where at various points you have people who look like humans and people who look like evolved animals sort of living semi in like um cohabitating together. just kind of Co together yeah. yeah living together in relative peace or something like right, that. right right so it's supposed to be a utopia but it ends up not being where we see some of the previews in which Peter Quill is attempting to drive a car, for instance. I don't think he's driving a car on Earth. I think he's driving a car on counter-Earth. Sure. Now, I can be completely wrong about that. But the fact we have the high evolutionary, it doesn't make any sense to me why they'd be going back and driving cars on Earth when there's a perfectly good counter-Earth that Adam Warlock and the High Evolutionary and everybody else can be using. Yeah. So that's my suspicion. 
And that's why I kind of wanted to introduce these so that that admittedly wonky concept that there's an exactly identical copy of the Earth right on the other side of the sun in the same synchronous orbit going around so that the regular Earth never really knows it's there. Right. Is kind of in your head going into it so it doesn't hurt the head so much having to come to terms with that if it happens. Right? Yes. No, that makes sense. That Warlock slash him is somebody who that cocoon will be sent out and actually end up being sort of an ally of the high evolutionary is very possible. I do think though that it's almost more likely with the way things have been going that Adam Warlock is going to be chasing the Guardians and will end up just finding them on the counter Earth or on Earth if I'm incorrect. Sure. But those two might end up having kind of a they may end a up created ally relationship yeah. anyway. Yeah. It's also possible that Warlock ends up fighting against the High Evolutionary by the end as well, depending on if they're going to go with him as a, you know, a real sort of member of the Guardians moving forward, which he is in the comics occasionally, or if they want to get a little closer to some of the older uh, allegiances he had. The idea of the new men, I think this is going to be critical because while in the comics he's not, and I think we'll talk about that in our bonus here uh, of, of Rocket Raccoon number one, which I had Dwayne take a quick look at after we'd seen the last preview. I think Rocket is a new man. In the movies, at least. He is not a new man as we noted by our lack of raccoons in the comic books. Sure. But I believe that James Gunn has taken a couple of different stories and glomped them together relatively brilliantly and made something pretty cool. So that's the other thing that I wanted you to get an idea of, is this whole idea of this counter-Earth with the society made up of evolved animals. And the difference is that in most of the comics, there wasn't a whole lot of concentration on exactly what that did to the animals or how they felt about being evolved. It was just sort of the evolutionary doing whatever he wanted, right? Mm -hmm. It might be a little different in the movie. But so what did you think about these books? You've given me a lot to digest here in the last few minutes. I I I really thought it was interesting the way that that the story just kept going throughout all these books and like the concept of counter earth really sort of kind of blew my mind. I you know, we've talked about multiverse and we've talked about, you know, the 616 versus other universes and things like that. This is just now one more thing that could potentially be an influence or can be uh, another confusion point, I think, potentially, because it's like, is this Earth or is this counter-Earth now? And, and like, you have the same people. You have Victor Von Doom. You have Reed Richards, but they're not the Victor Von Doom or the Reed Richards that we've seen on earth prime mm -hmm. right it just feels like it's more ways to get confused but at the same time it's like 
like with the uh, like with the Ultimates, it also is a way to kind of explore some other ideas or some, some other things with some characters that we already know, which to me is actually kind of interesting as well. And and that part of the plot probably will not make the movie because they're yeah. not ready to introduce either of those characters that way. I don't think. <laughs> I but don't think so either. We'll see. Um, it is interesting though. Yeah, there's a lot going on. There's also the fact that the the creation of the planet takes him takes the high evolutionary seven score hours, and a score is like twenty. So it would be a roughly seven days to create the the heavens and the earth uh-huh. right and then he rests on the seventh day at which point evil invades and sort of corrupts the garden and uh-huh. it is such a ridiculously like transparent biblical allegory and even uh-huh. the fact that you have the the high evolutionary as god you have man beast as satan and then you have adam warlock as jesus who he even the evolutionary even talks about how he's losing his son when he's sending him down, and and you have people Warlock on, is transported. On, you have people on yep. Counter Earth, some that are for him, some that are against him, yep. and, and he becomes this real divisive figure down there as yep. well. And the kids are following him around like disciples and the like. It is it is very much a a trippy seventies sort of Jesus Christ superstar. Adam Warlock Superstar. Adam could Warlock the, Superstar. There we go. Maybe should be the ep, the title of the episode. So it's I like uh, it. it's interesting because they did a lot of that sort of stuff. And it's not subtle. But also, you know, when you're considering a lot of these books were intended for kids who were 10 to 15 years old in a lot of cases, or maybe in college, there was some interesting stuff there. That at the time, this was relatively interesting and and edgy science fiction. So Warlock was some of the the more interesting stuff that Marvel was doing. It's one of the reasons why Jim Starlin got intrigued by it and then wanted to carry it on. Sure. So so you mentioned like the the hippies or the 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 teenagers that he befriends when he goes down to Counter Earth. Mm-hmm. There's four of them. Jason, Eddie, and a brother and sister, Eddie and Ellie. And it's Ellie's the one that gives him the name Adam. He just just basically is like, yep. you look like, you don't know, you don't have a name. Uh, you kind of look like an Adam. So sure, your name's Adam now going forward. We're going to call you Adam. But I want to talk about book eight because that to me just kind of blew my mind because you had this... You had all this stuff that happened, and then we get to book eight, and you we talked about the the divisiveness of Adam Warlock and how you had all these people that were for him, you had all these people that are against him. The president, uh, you know, was calling for a manhunt to 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 find him and bring him bring him in, and even though he is like saving the Golden Gate Bridge and all the people on it and all this sort of thing, and I and then and then he's in the White House. And we find out that Rex Carpenter, the president, is actually been inhabited by the man beast and has been controlled by the man beast for all this. And 
they're about ready to fight and then the story ends and the story and yes. like literally the last panel says this particular clash will be concluded sometime somewhere in the Marvel universe and it just sort of ends and like the there there is a book 9 but it picks up two it, it was like printed 2 years later and is in an entirely different like story yes. point Yep. That's when Starlin comes on. So, yeah. Incredible Hulk, man. And this is... So what happened is probably sales weren't there. So it got canceled. And they didn't have time to wrap it up. And so... They're just like, well, this is what happens. I assume this meant that they thought they had another issue. And then something occurred where they're just like, nope, we're going we're gonna to get rid of this. This happened a lot in the early 70s because of paper uh, problems and things like that. So 73, 74 were tough times in the comic industry. You even into the 75 area, you had DC launching comics like an entire line and then ending up just imploding them. So it could have been something like that. It could have just been they decided they didn't want to do it anymore or whatever. But yeah, nobody it, cared back then or nobody could cause too much of a ruckus so they could get by with this stuff every once in a while. Yeah, there was no social media where people could be outraged on and 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 nope. complain that they didn't know where the where this how the story was going to end, but it it was weird and like I I did notice as I was going through these books that there there was a there were a couple different artist and writer changes throughout the, you know, these eight books. And so that does sort of lead me to believe as we've talked about, you know, uh, with some other stuff, if, if you don't have a consistent writer and artist and it's changing, it's because they're hoping to improve something or they're, they, they, they don't have a lot of interest in, in keeping this thing going and then it eventually will just sort of die out. Yep. That is unfortunately I, correct. But but it was weird, though. I, I liked that book right up until, like, the end because it was... It, it had, like, this interesting story and then it just sort of... It just sort of stopped. It, it didn't end. It just stopped. Yes. Yep. And so... It's what, Incredible Hulk, it's probably like nine months or a year or something like that later. So there was a bit of a wait, but they they did figure out how to finish it up and, and continue the story. So mm. the problem, of course, is that with no social media, with no internet, nobody would have ever known that. I mean, most people who were reading would have had no idea that that when Incredible Hulk came out, that that story was actually finished unless... They just were lucky enough to have been picking up the, the new book and seen it. So, yeah. such is the way of it. All right. But anyhow. So the last thing I wanted you to read, just real quick, and this is not on our reading assignment, but it's something no. I asked Dwayne to take a look at because of the last preview that just came out a couple of days ago that had Rocket and three of his friends, all of whom are... Uh, animals that looked like a little rabbit and a little wa and a big walrus and a 
an otter sort of sitting around talking and yeah. all of them obviously had been experimented on and had weird things that were being done to them but they were kind of talking about giving themselves names and what they wanted to do and it was the sort of thing that made you want to cry right there as you were watching it basically yeah my wife was like this makes me sad i don't even want to i feel bad for these animals mm -hmm. so what this led me to do, though, is say we should at least take a quick look at Rocket Raccoon number one from 1984, which is where we actually first see not the first appearance of Rocket, because his first appearance was back a while ago, but it's the first appearance kind of of Rocket's really world fleshed out. And it's this place called Half World that's half populated by sort of like genetically altered animals who can talk. And are the servants and companions for the people who live on this planet. And a half populated by robots who make toys and other things for the people. And all the people on the planet are insane. Because we find out that in actual fact, the whole planet is an asylum established by another country or another, another planet that didn't want the crazy people there. So they dumped them off and then put a bunch of animals and a bunch of machines there to take care of the inmates so that they didn't have to. Which is yeah. not even remotely how we treat mental health these days, or the way no. any evolved species should. This is a really weird story. Yes. But it's where Rocket comes from is just as a genetically enha enhanced raccoon. Not really experimented on. High evolutionary has nothing to do with his background. Half world is just a place that's sort of this weird kind of happy world where he's hanging out with his friend Lila, who's kind of his girlfriend. She's also an heiress to this massive toy fortune. There's two competing toy companies run by evil animals of various sorts that are in a fight. Both of them want to steal Lila to marry her so that they can get uh, the access to the, the company and the fortune. Uh -huh. And he's got a friend who's a walrus who's got removable tusks. So he can have tusks that do various tasks or he can have gun tusks or whatever. Yep. It's played very much for comedy. And it is kind of a really weird sort of a story. I don't, but it is it is very weird. the The opening scene is one of the toy makers. It, like the companies have basically like one main toy maker, right? And there's this one toy company that has their toy maker killed by a clown. So yes, like, if you clowns. don't, yeah, this like insane looking clown thing. And the, the owner of that toy company assumes that it's the other toy company has sent this clown over to kill his toy maker so that he can basically, uh, you know, take over all of the toy making on the on the planet and and yes. like become filthy, filthy rich. It is. Yeah. And, and then we got Rocket Rocket Ranger Rocket Raccoon is brought mm -hmm. in along with his his pal the walrus to 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 go and talk to the that rival toy company and and find out what's going on and confront him and ask him was he the one that sent the clown over and uh 
while while that's going on, then yeah, the 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 first toy company, like Lila, goes to check on on him, and he like grabs her and like takes her and and is like, "You're gonna marry me," and and all this sort of thing. Yep. So it's 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 really really quite something. Yeah, and main thing, the planet's called Half World, which I believe is the planet that rockets from in the MCU as well. I think they said that, that sounds at some point. right. Yeah. But I believe that it's going to be called half world, but it's going to be counter earth because that's the thing that makes sense to me. We'll see uh-huh. whether it happens, but that's kind of my, my thought on this. In any case, it appears that rocket's going to be very different. And my belief is that what James Gunn has had in mind all along with his cybernetic enhancements and kind of the fact that when rocket talks about what was done to him it's obvious there was a lot of pain involved in that and the like is that he is a test subject of the high evolutionary in the in the mcu right and that's kind of how this all ties together so we're going to go back we're going to get rocket's origin story it's going to tie into the high evolutionary and away we go and so that makes a lot of sense Rocket is now a new man, but he wasn't in the comics. Correct. Yep. So you're not going in to finish the rest of the Rocket books from the zone of it. Uh, they're uh <laughs> probably not. That was they're a lot. Yeah. That was a little a little over the edge as far as a little too crazy mm. to for for me to really follow. Though I I will probably look into the Incredible Hulk to find out what happened to to, to Adam Warlock and and uh, excellent counter counter Earth at least. There you go, excellent. So, so we got a few questions for you here. So, read a bunch of books. What was your favorite of these stories this week? So I, I'm going to pick specifically Warlock one and two, which is after he goes down to Counter Earth and he he is. Mm-hmm meets up with the with the teenagers and they go to like the big city and they meet up with the prophet who who ends up being the man beast uh in disguise and their sort of interactions uh because it was really interesting to me that like the man beast was like pretending to be a human like a regular human being yeah, those were fun stories. And I mean, one and two, that's the entire creation of Counter-Earth and the corruption of Counter-Earth and him going down and most of the, the early story of it. There's a lot of storytelling going on there. I would probably agree. I think that the creation of Counter-Earth and just that whole wacky biblical allegory of it and just what a big swing as far as storytelling it was. Yeah. Those were probably my favorite books. I liked actually the stories. A lot of the older stories from the 60s don't necessarily resonate with me, but I actually really enjoyed both of the other sets as well. I liked the Thor books. I liked Tales to Astonish. There was uh-huh. nothing about them that really that really struck me as as anything other than fun comics. And they were because of the fact they were getting into the late 60s and the early 70s, and that's when you know, when, when Lee and Kirby were still together, the stories they told were fantastic. I mean, those two, they hated each other, but they were magic together. 
Mm-hmm. And so I I will tell you that I really liked the Hulk story, like the whole the whole idea of of the high evolutionary kind of reaching out and hoping that the Hulk would come to 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 help him help save him, yep. and like the hunters and like him blowing up the 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 spaceship he's in, and suddenly he's in this cosmic storm that reverts him back to Bruce Banner, and and he's like, well. How is Bruce Banner going to help me defeat all the new men that are coming to to to, to deal with with with, with mm-hmm. me and and after they've reverted back? But it was those those were really good too. It just um, I don't know. I I like the prophet just a little bit more. Very cool. And so we had a number of different art styles and some things like that. But it seems like you didn't find a huge difference in the art or anything that really struck you as a favorite this week. No, I I think the artwork I think I think they felt like the artists across all of these felt like they felt similar enough to me that I didn't really notice too much of a difference from one to another. And even within the Warlock books, when we had uh, artists change through uh, a couple times, there, I nothing stood out to me as something that I was really. That that I was really gravitated towards, or anything that really jumped out to me that 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 I liked or or didn't like, for that matter. There you go. I loved Gil Kane's artwork in the Warlock books. Sure, I have always loved his artwork, and so some of that stuff initially with the early depictions of Adam Warlock are just classics. They set up a lot of this stuff for him uh, in later. In later times, it's it's perfect kind of super exaggerated style for telling a crazy story like this, and he did a he did a good job with it. Sure. How about the worst part of the week? What what was the oh, thing that I, you could I have mean, done we, without? We we t- we talked about just the way this the way this ended or stopped is, is where I could have essentially Marvel's have whole thought. plan. Of, yeah. of just moving from book to book and series to series back then. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know how you would have kept track of this. Like, if you were engaged by Thor 134 and 135, how would you have found the next story? Marvel was a small enough universe back then that you could keep up. Because a lot of times you'd have kids that were buying books and then sharing them with their friends, or people who were collectors would just buy and maul. Marvel was publishing at that point maybe eight to ten books in the superhero line per month. And so if you're buying all or most of them, you'd kind of know what's going on. And there is the stand soapbox and the letter page and stuff like that that sometimes you can look and see some of the solicits for what's coming out. The sort of thing that happened here is obviously difficult to deal with, right? But... It is something that there were ways to find out what's going on if you were really engaged. And that's basically it. Is if you were really engaged, you would follow all of the bullpen stuff and whatever and maybe find out later. The weird thing is that with this one, you had no actual promise other than them saying it's going to get done eventually. Mm-hmm. Because it was nine months. It's not like they had another place to publish it. It literally was... We'll figure out a place to do it sometime later. And they ended up putting it in the Hulk. It could have ended up in Thor. And then it would have been a completely different story. So it's not like they were just continuing it. They had to find a place to shoehorn it in. Where they could involve one of the characters probably who'd already been in the story. 
to bring it forward. Oh, that makes sense. Crazy stuff. So. So, so the movie coming out this weekend, this week, Mm -hmm. will be if this releases, I guess, on Wednesday, it will be one day after you find folks are, are getting this, that Guardians 3 comes out. Dwayne, you going to be first in line for the movie? You got any plans to go to this? We we have tickets to go see it on Saturday uh, early afternoon. So we are going to do that. Hoping to hit the comic book store either before or after it to hit comic free comic book day as well. Uh, but yeah, I'm pretty excited. The, the trailers, like you said, have looked pretty good. Um, I, I'm worried. I a little concerned that it feels like Star Lord might be ending. I'm just gonna say that based on some of the the shots that we've seen. Um, you know, not that I'm a huge Chris Pratt fan, but you know, I like the character that he plays at least. And uh, you know, some of the individual thing like shot, you know, one minute, two minute shots that we're seeing that have been released over the last week. Uh, you know, the one like we talked about with Rocket and Layla and, and and that was pretty, pretty good too. But I don't know if I'm ready to like cry a bunch in another Marvel movie again after, after Wakanda forever, uh, just not too long ago. I, I, I did a lot of, uh, you know, ugly crying in the movie theater. I'm not, I, I hope I'm not being going to be doing that throughout this film. I don't know about throughout it, but I would be shocked if sort of like longtime Marvel fans don't end up welling up at least once or twice during this thing. Because, yeah, whether it's Star-Lord or Gamora or Rocket or all of them, I think we're going to see a number of folks who don't make it through this. Uh, You know, I'm not too worried about whether Zoe Zaldana and... Chris Pratt will be able to make their mortgages because it seems like both of them have lots of other <laughs> things okay. that they can do, yeah. right? But it nonetheless is, is yeah, going to probably be the end for a lot of these characters in terms of the, the people who we're seeing portray them and probably just in terms of for the near future. I don't think we're going to be seeing the Guardians as a team, as this, as this instance of the team in the mcu yeah because especially because in movie form they've all three of these movies have been written and directed by james gunn and he is now the head of dc studios so like he can he basically i know you know he didn't necessarily have that role when when he started writing all this and when he was planning this but like i i feel like based on everything that we've seen he had a plan for this and it was probably going to be three movies. And, and it seems like a lot of the main actors and actresses were planning on three movies. And, and so this is going to be that culmination, uh, for, for all of them. Yeah. I think culmination is definitely what this is going to be. It's going to be the story that ties it together and either makes this one of the best franchise sort of endings one of the best overall trilogies in science fiction and and fantasy ever or it's going to you know land like an egg and then all of us will be angry forever 
about it's the fact that it's torches terrible. online. Yes. yes. I'm not really worried about that, though, because I've seen no. some early reactions and seen sort of what people are saying and thinking. And at the most, there's a few people who seem to have little nits they want to pick just because they have to have something kind of saucy to say uh, in their review. But overall, everybody seems to be super impressed with this. So I'm excited in a way I have not been excited for a Marvel movie probably oh man in a long time i have i have almost zero real fears that this is going to be terrible and i'm very confident that this is going to be something i'm gonna i'm gonna be very happy with yeah we've seen what james gunn has done through two movies and a tv special and i think he's done a really good job with all of it so i would have a very hard time believing that he isn't going to stick the landing. No. I would agree. No. So, with that, I think we are, we're on our way. So, yes. Dwayne, you want to take us out of here? Sure. That is going to wrap it up for us for this week. We'd like to thank you all for joining us. If you're new to the podcast, please consider subscribing on your podcast player of choice. That way you'll get each new episode as soon as it's released. Whether you're new to the show or you've been with us from the beginning, we'd love to get your thoughts on Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 that's coming out this weekend. Maybe you read along with us this week on the Thor books, Tales to Astonish, Marvel Premiere, or the Warlock books. We'd love to get your thoughts. Send them to us via email. That address is comments at comicsovertime.com. Or you can reach out to us via social media on Twitter. We are at Comics Overtime on there as well. Dan, we go back to the theaters one more time this weekend and see the final installment of Guardians of the Galaxy. Initial reviews suggest that it's going to be a good movie. And, I mean, if nothing else, there's going to probably be an awesome soundtrack. Absolutely. No, I'm, I am confident. We're going in and having fun, and we will talk about it on Sunday and get it to all the rest of you folks on Wednesday. So looking forward to it until then, everybody take care. All right. Have a great one. <laughs>